everybody has a good book inside of them waiting to be written. But also, some people have a bad book in them. Welcome to Novel Ideas with Chris and Elsa, a bi-weekly podcast, where each episode we'll look at a book people have deemed as questionable. Then we'll decide if the book will be joining what we're dubbing the Library of Cursed Books. So come join us this week as we discuss True Allegiance by Ben Shapiro. And this will be our third and final episode Thank discussing God. this book. Thank God. <laughs> I cannot with this man. I cannot. There's so many reasons I cannot. So this will be us covering part two and part three in his book, as well as the, the epilogue that he put in his book to set up a sequel that he has yet to write. And I hope he never does. But if he does, I will probably read it to talk about it. Because there's no way it's not going to be as awful as this book. I suppose I would have to read it too, just because I love you guys so much that I don't want you to have to do this to yourself. But we're going to get into it. Um, He titled part two, Collapse. And where we left off was... So Ben Shapiro's characters, Brett Hawthorne is basically been rescued now by Prescott who rescued him by sending in a SEAL team instead of shooting a missile into Iran. Which is what Brett wanted Prescott to do. He had sent a Morse code message with eye blinks on the terrorist tape to try to say, hey, blow this up. And then got upset that Prescott didn't do that and ended up in his yelling at them that this was all a trap and still trying to scream at them instead of basically evacuing them, like trying to lecture them in the hall, ended up getting somebody killed. So in true Ben Shapiro fashion, his Marty Stew threw a fit because he didn't get his way. But yeah, and the reason Prescott didn't shoot a missile into Iran is that could be construed as an act of war. So Prescott was actually making the more smart decision. Exactly. Trying to make the one that would be the most peaceful and less dangerous end for everyone involved. And Soledad right now is our terrorist who is on the run. They have Aiden, who is a former SWAT slash Fed member. We'll find out he's a Fed later on in this part. And they're going to go free Ricky. Like, that's their setup, is they're going to decide they want to go break Ricky out because apparently Aiden and him are best friends. Basically, Soledad and her crew are hiding out right now from the government. And Aiden went to a bar and he saw on the news that his friend was being held in prison for the murder of Kendrick. And he decides he wants to go rescue him because that's his childhood bestie. And he convinces Soledad that it's the right thing to do. So some of Soledad and her crew go along with him and some of them part ways with her because they didn't want to be seen because they're obviously all being viewed as terrorists now and they're some of them are trying to save their lives from being accused of treason, I guess. And then Levon, his character is one we left off on. He is just being used to espouse really racist ideals from Ben Shapiro. And his character in the book at this point is partnered with a guy named Benj- Big Jim that is a allegory for Al Sharpton. Yeah. Like, and, 
and they're basically they're the ones that set up this weird, gross conspiracy to have Ricky O'Sullivan, a white officer, kill a black kid, and the kid was given 20 bucks to make him do it. So we're going to dive into the book now, pick up with Brett, and I guess I misspoke because <laughs> Brett is still in Iran. So the the like the free freedom hasn't come for him yet. We're getting to that part though right now. I think in this chapter, yes. we we got a little bit ahead of ourselves because we really want to get this awful awful book <laughs> out of our out of our minds and our psyches. I'm so sad. I've spent this much time talking about Ben Shapiro. And please forgive us. We knew this was going to be a bad book. We did not realize the amount of psychic damage it was going to do. Seriously, like, I'm so excited that our next series is a lot less intense than this. So we're going to pick up with Brett in Iran, and basically we find out at some point he got taken out of Kabul. Um, We don't understand when, but what's weird about it is the whole time he's in Kabul, he talks about how he can't get captured, and that's the last thing he'll ever do, and basically... He's wrote out like a character who would rather go down fighting and die than be captured. That's the vibe I got, yeah, because that's, again, how Ben Shapiro views manly men. But they don't ever actually explain how he got captured. Like, there's no internal monologue from Brett saying, oh, I passed out in the hangar. Like, because at some point he makes it to an airport and gets into a hangar and finds some medical supplies to treat his wounds. What probably happened is he probably bled out and passed out and got captured, but that's not a very manly thing to have happen, so Ben decided to gloss over that. But he never actually mentions it. Yeah, that's just my fan theory, I guess. And then we're going to get to where Ben Shapiro has Brett talking about like how he was deceptive and blinked Morris code. And he ends up being really racist in this passage. Go figure, Ben Shapiro being racist. He basically, he says like he can see out the window, so he kind of figures out where he's located because apparently Brett Hawthorne knows all the Iranian landmarks and is able to deduce his coordinates from looking out a window. He's a Marty Stu who has all the powers, basically. He can figure out where he's at just by looking at a tree branch. He can speak every language. Well, in his big, like, long, boring chapter where he tells us all about Brett Hawthorne's history in chapter one, he does mention that in 1998, Brett learns one of the Aramaic languages, and it's, like, one of the hardest ones to actually learn. And he acts like, oh, Brett just picked it up because he's that cool and intelligent. That'd be like me saying that I magically learned Mandarin Chinese by listening to it in my sleep. Like, that's a hard language to learn. (laughs) It's one of those things to where he's just, like, trying to make him seem, like, cool and super intelligent, but there's no, like, factual grounding for the character. Marty Stew. If it's something Ben Shapiro needs to happen and needs to be done, then Brett Hawthorne can do it. Perfect Marty Stew. But we're going to read through this, uh paragraph here um and this is brett talking about how he's pretty sure he duped him over the whole i blinking morris code thing he just hoped that the boys and intelligence picked up on the message he'd be sending and he prayed that the film editor or whatever cave dweller familiar with windows movie maker they'd be using for this particular production didn't chop up the film too badly now 
He's calling him a cave dweller to be derogatory toward the Muslim and Arab world. But also, they're in a building. Right. There are people in every country that are tech savvy. America is not the like, only p- country full of people who know how technology works. He's he's in a building and he's in a city, a city in Iran. A major city. <laughs> like, so I'm pretty sure whoever is sending this terrorist tape knows how to do editing work. They're, they're right. not, editing work isn't hard. Like we are learning to do editing work and I am not a tech savvy you, person. So come on, sir. You don't get to call people... Uh, cave dwellers or primitive when you're in a major city stop referring to middle eastern people as primitive ben come on it's 2024 or even the year he wrote this like sir come on technology is everywhere people are not primitive just because you don't like them which is exactly what this is you don't like them so therefore they are primitive because their cultural beliefs don't match yours but we're going to move forward now and jump into Ellen, another one of Ellen's chapters. And the reason this one's important is because Ben Shapiro, for all his, again, we, and we touched on this in the previous episode, for all his, I'm not like other right-wing people, I'm intelligent, don't call me Alex Jones stuff, puts a lot of Alex Jones crap in this book. That's why I'm wearing my Knowledge Fight Raptor Princess shirt today with Alex Jones on it, because I know it would trigger Mr. Shapiro if he knew I was talking about his book and wearing an Alex Jones shirt. So, and on this... Shout out to Knowledge Fight. He you know, On this, we're going to get to Bubba Davis is talking to Ellen, and Bubba Davis mentions Posse Comitatus. And what that is, if you don't know what it is, is back in the wild wild west days they had rules that basically said like if you're in like a territory and you're just a town like you're not an actual state with a governor they considered the sheriff to be like the highest appointed law figure which makes sense because there isn't a governor there isn't like a senator or like you have a mayor in most of those places but if you need something like that, like, yeah, you could say, like, hey, the sheriff is judge, jury, and all that stuff. Because they're a territory. They're not a, a U.S., like, actual, like, under the Constitution. So, basically, he's implying by calling Posse Comitatus that he doesn't consider himself a part of the United States. Thusly, he doesn't have to listen to Prescott's order for all military personnel to go to New York to clean up from the terrorist attack. Yes. From the terrorist attack that everybody sat in their cars for. At the beginning of the book, we're finally getting to that part. And there's also a lot of problematic language in Bubba Davis's chapters to where he refers to a lot of times that there's an invasion happening. Like he refers to immigration as like an invasion, which it's not. It is entirely legal for anybody to go to any country over the border and basic that is signed up with like UN ratified treaties to say, hey, I'm wanting to seek asylum. That is legal. It is illegal if you just like sneak into the country and you don't like contact the US government. That is what is illegal. But it is completely legal for you to step foot in Mexico and immediately tell the authorities, I'd like to seek asylum, just like it's legal for them to do it here. But Ben Shapiro, through Bubba, wants us to believe that everyone trying to cross the U.S.-Mexico border is part of the cartel and thusly going to cause problems for the American people, which is so racist. To add to why this is like a little extra gross, the reason they passed those laws is because 
back then when we were turning away ships with Jewish people on them, they found out later on that the German government was systemically slaughtering wholesale the their, their Jewish population and it made all the governments of the world look really bad that they were like oh oops on our part didn't realize they were murdering you all so they passed these accords and a part of the rules in them is basically if somebody shows up seeking asylum there is a process and it is completely legal you are allowed to step into the country and say, I would like asylum. Now, you do have to go through a court case and argue, like, why we should, as a country, take you in. But it is not illegal immigration to step inside the U.S. and say, please give me asylum. Yeah, that's correct. And even in his storytelling with wanting us to believe that all these people are cartel, he, at the beginning, when we met Ellen, had explained that she had found a dead child and that's why she and her co-worker were even at the border in that first chapter she appears in so that supports what you said about seeking asylum that child was probably trying to run from trafficking or the cartel or something and seek asylum here in america but according to mr shapiro through bubba all of these people are cartel people and they're all dangerous and they're all going to ruin the american way of life well and he keeps saying like he wants to stop kids from dying and stuff like that yeah and it's like that's not what these people think these conservatives that are concerned about like immigration and yell about it are never going to come out and say what they're actually arguing on which is actually a white supremacist argument which is replacement theory yes you'll often hear people like ben shapiro and the like restructure the argument to say oh they want all these illegals to come in because then they can register them as democrats it's just another way to rephrase stuff. And Ben Shapiro should be against this because a part of great replacement theory is that it's a plot by the Jews. And it's it's based in racism of saying they want to fill the country with minorities to replace all the white people that are currently in power. It's insane to me that Ben Shapiro is pro-racism and pro-even like hate speech against religion when he is a Jewish man himself and probably has experienced in his life as a child growing up persecution because of his background. Yeah. So that's weird to me that he turned out the way he did when these are the people who were probably bullying him as a child. Yeah. But we're going to get into the Bubba chapter and we'll talk a little bit more about Posse Comitatus. And... This is in Ellen's chapter, and this is after Ellen had a conversation with her husband who's been saved from Iran. She finally gets a phone call, and they argue about the airstrike that Prescott didn't do. Is this the phone call where he shows us he doesn't understand how wiretapping works? When she tagged in his friend, and all of a sudden he, they weren't being recorded anymore because that call was being recorded. I believe so. It's like just because you bring in another person on the phone yeah. doesn't mean they stop tapping the wire. Now they can ha- hear all three of you. Yeah, it was. It, that is where Bill Collier gets yeah. gets into the call, and we also find out the twisty twist <laughs> of Ben Shapiro revealing Jennifer was General Bill Collier's wife. And all Bill Collier will sit there and do is yell about his wife. 
Then at some point mentions his daughter. Yeah, he forgets but, that Julia exists. But then keeps focusing on his wife. And you would think that like somebody like that would just say, my family was murdered in this and emphasize family. But no, it's just the wife. But also his child was a child that didn't get to live life. I would be like, my daughter or my family, but it's not fair you took a chance at life away from my daughter. I'm really upset about my family dying. Like, but, my family, my family, my daughter didn't get to live my family would be pretty much what my bitch rant would be. The reason I passed over it is it's it's such a dumb twist. It's like, it's not a payoff. There would have been more of a payoff had Jennifer actually been Hawthorne's wife. That would have, like, given him at least some justification. There would have been some payoff if Collier played a bigger role in the story, but he doesn't really play much role in the story. So it was like, why? Why did this even need to be here? He's he is just there to allow Brett Hawthorne to go to New York later in the story, which we'll get to because there's some ridiculousness there. But we're going to jump in now on Ellen talking to Bubba Davis. And this is about him sending National Guard units to New York. I got a call from Prescott. He said he wants our boys out there ASAP. I know I saw it on the news. I won't send them, Ellen. She shuddered involuntarily. You know by law that you have to. The National Guard can be mobilized by the president once a national emergency has been declared. Under posse comitatus, that isn't totally clear. But this ain't about the law anymore, Ellen. It hasn't been for a long time. We pull our troops off that border and I'll have more dead ranchers on my hands. More children floating up in, the, in that river. I don't have the stomach for that. Now, again, he's mentioning posse commentators. That's that's a bullshit thing. No court is going to sit there and allow Bubba Davis to argue that. The president does, like, if you mobilize the National Guard, which he has on the border, if the president says he's nationalizing the National Guard, like, he can send in orders to have them stand down because he supersedes the governor. He's the commander-in-chief, if you will. They are still military. Correct. Now, a great example of this is in Arkansas, back during segregation times, when they were desegregating schools, they pushed their National Guard to protect schools and keep black children out. Well, the president at the time nationalized the National Guard and had them protect the black children entering the schools. Because again, their power supersedes any governor's power. They're military. So this whole weird thing that Ben Shapiro is doing here would instantly stop once it, once they're nationalized. Because there's no way, like, let's say that there's a few soldiers on that border in the National Guard that are hardcore Bubba Davis supporters. Ugh. There's no way that all of them are going to, like, sit there and just ruin their military careers in the National Guard by not listening to direct orders. If they actually deny these orders, these military men, could they be charged with treason for disobeying the president's order because it is something to help the country? They could be, but I have more, I believe more likely what would happen is they would just be immediately discharged. Uh, dishonorably discharged yes. you mean okay that makes sense to me okay because like yes they could and they could end up in federal prison for it but more than likely what would end up happening is just because of the depending on the number of them 
you would probably just see them end up being dishonorably discharged. That makes sense. Because they're not doing anything to oppose the government. They're not doing anything to help the enemy side. They're just saying, no, I don't agree with that. In which case, you lose all your military benefits and everything. So why the fuck would you do that? Like, And to give an explanation of why we should talk about this currently, current governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has his National Guard's people on the border and they were throwing up razor wire on the border. Oof. And it has killed some immigrants. That's fucked and up. And they keep referring to it as an invasion. And we're being invaded. And it's like, no, it's not an invasion. Again, immigrants have a right to step into the country and say, I'd like asylum. And the it got, it got to the point to where the current President Biden told them he doesn't want them down there and to let border control do their job Mm -hmm. the border patrol do their job and it got all the way to the supreme court supreme court told them you need to pull the national guard off the border and greg abbott is refusing to do that now i will say biden is being like a kind of a coward in the fact of he is not just nationalizing them and dismissing them all why isn't he doing that that's really fucked up I don't know. And they're not really talking about it in the press at all. Go figure. Biden fucking something else up. But, like, that's what he needs to do. And he's, he's not doing it. And I don't imagine he will. But his, his argument is, oh, I, and I think the reason is, is he thinks it's an election year and he's going in his head, oh, well, they'll, they'll say I'm weak on border security. And it's like, I, I These people that you think are going to vote for you will never vote for you. Mr. Biden, your, <laughs> your voting pool, people like myself and Chris, who typically vote Democrat because it's the most leftist version of our government, are likely to vote, or not vote, I should say, if you don't step up and do the right thing. Because I'm a humanitarian. I, I need a president who's going to do the right thing. Like, I'm watching my rights as a queer woman go away in this country, and this is not helping your case by you taking away the rights of people to come here and ask for asylum because they feel like their life is in danger or they want a better life for their family. All that's going to do is piss someone like me off. But it's, it's relevant for us to talk about in the sense of Ben Shapiro was trying to do compassionate conservatism in here and say, Ugh. like, that this is meant to save lives by locking down the border. When in reality, Greg Abbott, in a recent interview, I believe it was on radio, basically came out and said, if I knew we wouldn't be charged by the Biden administration, we would be shooting them. I could see that. So... It's disgusting. He is not like... The, the people that are arguing like for a full border lockdown, they're not coming from compassion. They don't care like if immigrant kids end up dead. Like, they, not even a little. They're coming from like a weird white supremacist, like homicidal rage area. Like there's no there's there's no way you can sugarcoat like the person that's control of Texas that's doing stuff similar to what Bubba Davis did. And say like, oh, they're coming from a place of compassion when they're on a radio going, oh, if I could get away with killing people trying to get in here, I would do it. That's the exact opposite of compassion. And And it's horrifying. I haven't watched it yet, but I do know Ben Shapiro recently went down to the border to 
report on border security, oh, I, joy. I guarantee you he is he is going to defend what Greg Abbott is doing, which means he's being disingenuous in his book. Ben Shapiro disingenuous? No, never. So we're going to jump forward now to Ezekiel and with Soledad, and they're going to have a conversation. The conversation is gross because Ezekiel is a black man in this book. And the reason it's gross is he starts espousing white supremacist views on America. And Ben Shapiro just made him black so he can make him do that. So it's not racist, even though it's completely racist. And Did you like my Ben Shapiro voice, by the way? There's, there's some other ridiculous stuff in this scene that we're going to talk about, particularly in relation to Ezekiel spitting. I know it sounds gross, but it is just one of the silliest things that have been wrote out in this book. So we're going to talk about it. But we're also going to talk about, again, the gross white supremacy that he makes Ezekiel espouse. We're trying to keep some humor in this because we know this book has been so dark and hard to deal with. So this is when Soledad and her gang of like motorcycle people that aren't again aren't supposed to be white supremacists but for whatever reason sure do hold a lot of white supremacist views are hiding out in like the country basically it's a group of people who like agreed with her watching her on the news and some of the national guardsmen who deserted because they don't agree with prescott's views ezekiel spat into the snow it steamed hissed out last time i checked didn't matter much what you had to say about it They'll drone you just the same. I know. I worked for them. He stood, turned to walk into the house, then he turned back to her. Listen, Soledad, you can either hide out and hole hole up and wait for them to turn you into a pile of guts, or you can figure out what comes next. Sounds like you have some idea of what should come next. He laughed. I always do. That's why they never made me bird, Colonel. What's your plan? I always say the best defense is a good offense. So does Clausewitz. When your force is small, concentrate it. Hit them where they're weak. Who are they? The same people who shut down your farm. The same people who attacked you. Those people are Americans. It isn't American to do those things. America means more than being born here. It means believing certain things. So we should shoot those who disagree? Only if they shoot first. I don't want more blood, she said. Then you went into the wrong business, woman. Blood's about all that's guaranteed from here on in. And you can't stay here forever. You've got to keep moving. Move or die. The screen door whispered closed behind them. How funny is it that he has Ezekiel mention that being American is, quote, more than being born here, end quote when he has Bubba as a stand-in for his anti-immigration beliefs. Like, pick a lane, sir. Well, yeah, and he's, again, arguing that being American is has certain parameters. And I bet you if you sat down with Ben Shapiro, his argument would be, well, they got to be Christian. or and like, And I'm sure he'd caveat that there has to be Jewishness allowed. But he's arguing, <laughs> like, the people that argue and use this kind of language are arguing that they have to be white. They have to be Protestant. Like, it is, like, that kind of nativist sort of mentality. And what I mean by nativist 
is the crazy loons that sit there and argue that America was put here by God for like white Protestant men to rule. Even though Native Americans are neither white nor Protestant? Yes. You know, the people who were here before white people? Yeah, but that's that's the kind of language he's having Ezekiel espouse. Yeah. Is the gross white nationalist like narrative of you're being like again it's it's him slyly trying to like implant replacement theory of if you don't hold our ideals you need to leave the country and it's one of those things like if i could right now i would probably leave the u.s i have a few places i'd be interested in moving to that are not the u.s because i do not agree with the way the u.s is run i don't either and as a woman and an openly queer person I know my rights are going to be taken back away from me. Like, I already lost my right to choose. So I am with Chris here. I would love to leave, but I can't right now. Like, it's it's one of those things of these people will always sit there and make that argument. And it's like, you don't get to sit there and dictate, like, what is true American. Like, and then... I thought America was supposed to be home of the free... And all of that stuff. And we were supposed to be accepting. And that's why our ancestors came here, supposedly. Well, then that's why they're upset is because they wanted they wanted those bill of the Bill of Rights essentially to only count for white people, white, straight people, white, straight men. Let's clarify (laughs) that. And they're upset that other people like look at them and be like, no, you're monstrous. Fuck you. Like, they don't like that. They don't like being told they're monsters. Well, in the words of Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. He's using, and that's (laughs) the whole reason he made Soledad a Hispanic woman. Yep, and Ezekiel a black man. Whenever he has to espouse, like, terroristic white nationalist ideals, it is coming out of a minority person's mouth. Because I'm not racist. My Ben Shapiro voice sounds cartoony. It doesn't. It's not as good as yours. <laughs> Maybe I should stop. <laughs> I'm more or less talking in my Waluigi voice for him. <laughs> Sorry, Waluigi. Love you. Now we're going to jump to what me and Elsa think is like one of the best characters to come out of the brain of Ben Shapiro. If there is one character <gasps> we are going to give him preps for creating, it is this character and it's because the name is so ridiculous. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Would you like to say the name? Lieutenant Jeff Jeffords, true yes. American hero. So basically, Bubba Davis is sending, had been sending in the National Guard to combat the cartels on the border within the city, on within the cities on the border, and they're going in there to kill them, and yes. that is an act of war. Because aren't they <laughs> on the Mexican side of the Mexican border at this yes. point? So literally, that is an act of war because right. he went into their country and just started killing people. Like he's They're in, in their own country right now, dude. He, he has the National Guard going in there and killing cartels going, well, this is the only way we're going to win this fight. Like, And the cartels at some point got a hold of Mr. Jeffords and they beheaded him. It made an example of poor Mr. Jeffords. I'm going to read the paragraph and then we're also going to discuss why Mr. Jeffords does not make sense as a character. Yes. But here's the paragraph where we're introduced to our true American hero, Lieutenant Jeff Jeffords. Ahead. The head. More specifically, of one Lieutenant Jeff Jeffords. 
Jeffords, a member of the Texas National Guard, had been imprisoned in Mexico for months, held by the authorities there. Aside from a small group of activists, Jeffords had been all but abandoned after his imprisonment. The Mexican government claimed that he'd driven across the border loaded down with weapons. He claimed it was all a big misunderstanding, that he'd been going hunting and made a wrong turn. His history from of mental illness didn't help him much on that score. Hey, this supports my argument for mental illness and gun control. Yeah, and also, even if, like, he was, like, a citizen, like, the Mexican authorities are totally within their rights of arresting somebody for having a pickup more than likely loaded with ammunition and guns, especially when the National Guard has been crossing the border in essentially executing citizens. So if nothing else, he looks like a citizen who's acting as a mule, or, you know, he's an actual military member. Either way, that's sus. We can argue about the morality of the cartels and all that within the state of Mexico, but it's still illegal and fucked up to send your military to go and kill gangs. On their own turf, which is not your country even to start with. That is not your place. That is Mexico's place to take care of that. I won't defend the cartels, but I will say I'm not for provoking a war. Same. Like, that's one of the gripes I have with the U.S. government. I feel like we are a very war-hungry country, and I am a pacifistic person, and I don't believe in harming people for no reason. And they also mentioned that he has a history of mental illness. Now. Had he had that when he enrolled in the military, found out about it, he probably would be discharged in some form. Maybe not dishonorably, maybe like an honorable discharge in the sense of, hey, you developed all these mental issues. But then we're going to get into the debate with Ben Shapiro about the failure of the U.S. government to stand by vets and properly fund things like mental health. Because I guarantee you he is going to be against spending money on that. Yeah, we could go into the whole how our vets become homeless because we don't take care of them after the fact, but that's a discussion for another time because this discussion could be a whole two or three episodes on its own. Yeah, like he he would he would more than likely on its face say, no, we should support the vets and like all that stuff. But the minute you brought up taxing him at a higher bracket to do so, his tune will change. Exactly. He won't be referring to the vets, but he'll start he'll start wording it in a way to where... It's going to be like, oh, well, we know how bad the U.S. government is doing this. When the main problem with the U.S. government is when conservatives get in power, they cripple those departments. It's on purpose to make you look at the U.S. government and say they're not good at their job. Well, yeah, if you cripple a department, they're not going to be good at what they're doing. When you take away resources, things can't get done. That's just all it is. You're taking away the resources, so thusly we cannot take care of everything that's department supposed to take care of because they just don't have enough. Now, more specifically, the reason we bring up this character is the name Jeff Jeffords is ridiculous. <laughs> it does sound made up. It sounds like something somebody would say when they were trying to think up a name and looking around at objects. <laughs> like, what's your name? C- Cups? Cups Saucerton. <laughs> like, like it's, it's that level of, like, made up to where somebody would say, Oh, J- Jeff. And your last name, Jeff, Jeff Jeffords. 
it's that level of stupid. I think what this might have been was Ben Shapiro needed a name like that, like coming up with one quickly as a placeholder for this character when he was initially writing the manuscript, and then he never went back and read or edited anything, and so thusly like he never gave him a proper name. Yeah, and it's it's a ridiculous character, but we needed to bring it up because of its ridiculous names, but also because the, it's surrounded in like the Mexican government having every right to arrest somebody that even if they're former military, when what you're doing on the border is a, a war, basically a warristic act, mm-hmm. they have every right to basically cuff somebody. And for somebody to be full on like, oh, illegal immigration's bad. Let's say, for the sake of Ben's argument, he's not like trying to find like Mexican authorities to basically be like, hey, I'm lost. Can you redirect me to the U.S.? He didn't do that. He kept driving. He got seized at the border. So technically, Jeffords for Mexico is an illegal immigrant. Correct. And again, if he had such a huge history of mental health, which I'm assuming it, the history is there because he's done something crazy, why would we want him going into any place, much less another country, with a bunch of weapons he could use to just go crazy and kill people? Like, with unstable mental health like that, he's basically, you're telling us he's a loose cannon. And I wouldn't want that, because that is definitely going to cause a war if he decides all of a sudden to, to start killing a bunch of people because he's having an episode. And I'm not mocking anyone with mental health issues because, as I've stated, I have depression and anxiety, and there are certain fields I don't belong in because of my mental health status. So we're going to close, like, we'll use that as our closeout for Jeffords, and we're going to jump forward now to Aiden and O'Sullivan's crew. This is just before they're doing the big jail breakout with Ricky, where they're devising their plan. And so in this, it just seems like with Aiden's character in Soledad that Ben Shapiro needed page filler. So he made Aiden give a bunch of exposition about the train station they were currently breaking into. And it feels like Ben Shapiro just went to Wikipedia and grabbed the first three paragraphs on this train station and copy-pasted them. Didn't he also give random facts about these, like, rundown buildings they were going through yeah, to travel right. to the jail? Yeah. Just random abandoned buildings that Ben Shapiro probably knows nothing about, so he just made some shit up. Just to drive home the fact that Aiden is from Detroit. I think that was just it. Page filler, and just to be like, by the way, this guy is from Detroit, in case you forgot. Yeah, but... The reason I'm bringing him up is they're inside the train station and then they're discussing how they're going to break Ricky out. And then he somehow brings out what can only be deemed a magical duffel bag. Oh, he has a bag of holding. That's right. And at no point, like, I get that, like, they were probably carrying gear with them. But at no point is it mentioned the duffel bag just appears. And I I can forgive that and be like, okay, yeah, they were carrying gear. But it's when you find out what's in the duffel bag that makes it ridiculous. So he pulls out a duffel bag, and the duffel bag is, I deem as magical. Is it? It's a bag of holding, guys. Is it weird that he has a duffel bag? No, they were probably carrying gear with them into the train station. I'm totally fine with allowing that to pass. But within the duffel bag, he has like 20 t-shirts. White t-shirts. Not like 20 (laughs) different t-shirts, just 
20 white t-shirts now and they're emblazoned with like the with the word like thugs on it or something like that or thugs go home or something i I don't remember but it was some racist thing to get attention you could probably argue that okay he wrote those on there with marker but it's also insane that he just has a duffel bag filled with white t-shirts and nothing but white t-shirts considering that they are struggling for supplies this whole book it's kind of weird that he suddenly just I don't know, went to Walmart and bought a bunch of white t-shirts and risked getting caught because their faces have been on TV. He also seemed to have, like, two full police officer uniforms. I mean, those could be just old uniforms yeah. of his. And I, well, I realize those could be his or they could be other people's, like, from the group. Because we do know some of the cops joined up with her. Yeah, because we had cops. Yeah. We had um, military men that didn't agree with Prescott. And we had just people who supported her cause. I'm going to read just a little passage so you kind of get the idea of where we're coming from with this. Aiden took out a garbage bag, pulled from it four uniforms. These he tossed to Soledad and three other men, who stepped forward to put them on. Now for the rest of you guys, I've got something really special. He opened a duffel bag. In it were t-shirts. When the rest of the men saw them, a few jaws dropped. Soledad chuckled. Well, she said... You gotta die someday. And it's basically revealed that on, like, the t-shirts it says, like, thugs go home or something like that. So he either at some point took, like, a Sharpie and wrote that on all these shirts, or he had a print shop make him these shirts. Also, what kind of reaction was that, Soledad? Just chuckling, saying you gotta die someday (laughs) at some racist t-shirts and going into a mob knowing some of your men are gonna die for your cause? What the fuck? I thought you were supposed to care about everybody, and you're the sweet, like, grandma archetype. So I, I did what find What the it. fuck? I did find it. On the t-shirts, he had the phrase, fight the thugs, was wrote on these t-shirts. Ugh. But it's like a crowd of them. So the duffel bag is full of these shirts that say this. It's not like one. He didn't pull one out and be like, we can do this, guys, on all our shirts. He pulled out multiple shirts that say, fight the thugs. Which means it's... For whatever reason, he was making these shirts and then just keeping them. Well, maybe Aiden's been racist this whole time and just wanted to have a collection of racist shirts to espouse his views publicly. It's it's just because that's what you do as a police officer. It's you just get away silly. with it. Like you could have at some point been like, "Hey, I've got an idea, but we're gonna need to do. I need somebody to go to the store and get me these supplies." That would make sense. It seems crazy to me, though, that he's carrying a duffel bag with a bunch of white t-shirts. It's a trash bag. That The trash bag had the police uniforms. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. The duffel bag. I'm is... just saying this because I guess they're all trash. <laughs> <laughs> the duffel bag has the t-shirts. But it's it's crazier that he's carrying around a duffel bag that's just filled with shirts that say this. No weapons or protective gear, just racist shirts. My plan is just to go full-on racist to go save my friend who is being held for a racist crime. That makes sense. And now we're going to hit part three. Oh, boy. The last part we're going to talk about in part two. And part three is the end of the beginning. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would have made sense is the beginning of the end. Because it's the beginning of the end of the U.S. as we know it, which is what I think this is supposed to be a commentary on. So when they show up in the shirts at some uh, at some point, somebody goes and kills Big Jim. But we never find out who. Yeah, we don't actually find out who. Like, honestly, with the way the book is plotted out, it's more likely that 
Levon had him killed. I think that's true because he's trying to take the his place as the head of the table, so to say. And he doesn't like the way that Big Jim is doing things to cater to the white people. And because, ugh, racism. So he ends up having him killed. And that's what triggers, like, the riot that allows Soledad and her group to break out Ricky. Because they run into the station dressed as cops and get Ricky out. While all the people that are wearing Fight the Thugs t-shirts end up fighting Levon's supporters outside and the riot spews into the police department. Yeah. With the jail that he's that Ricky's being held in. And in the chaos, apparently everyone's distracted, so we're able to get O'Sullivan out of prison. That's like the first part of this unit, this part three. But we're gonna jump into Ellen's chapter and they talk about how the National Guard has gone like full lockdown on the border by to where you there's checkpoints and everything and one of the ridiculous things about this is they're just talking about texas ben shapiro is only talking about texas being in this like full lockdown along its border he doesn't even bring up the fact that new mexico and arizona exist yeah and honestly if you're trying to affect overhead and all that why wouldn't you just i don't know go next door to the other states that don't have their border locked down to cross if you were gonna cross illegally? Yeah. What I would do if I were the cartels trying to cross over illegally, I'd have a small unit distracting Texas while the rest of us go around on the other sides. Now, would there be some fighting probably for control of those areas? Yeah, I would say. Like, on the Mexico side, cartels are probably gonna fight each other on the less secure parts of the border. But... To sit there and be like, Texas fully locked down its border, thus immigration was solved. The fact that immigration was solved is a thought in Ben Shapiro's head is just gross. <laughs> like, it's a problem. Like, he doesn't mention, like, an alliance from the governors along the border. It is just Texas. Specifically, <laughs> the city that Bubba's in. It's not even all of yeah, Texas. Like, it's just one city. Well, it's it's all of Texas. Because, I thought it was one city. Well, he mentions, like, El Paso, which is along the Rio Grande, which is where a lot of illegal crossings happen. Mm -hmm. So that's why he keeps bringing it up. But El Paso, Texas does not have the crime rate that he keeps claiming it does. Right. It's one of those things of you can't sit there and say that the governor was like super smart because he fully locked down this entire state's border and then be like... It's the biggest state, but it's not the only state on the border. Be like, never mind their neighbor of New Mexico and then that state's neighbor of Arizona being able to just be like, all right, have fun with the military there. New uh, Mexico is literally named after Mexico, which it borders. The, the other thing is, like, literally you could probably be, like, 10 feet away from the Texas border crossing in New Mexico and flip off the National Guardsmen there. Oh, my God. You probably could. That's so funny. Like, that's that's the point of, like, stupidity with this. Like, that you can't, like, fully lock down a border. Like, you have you would have to have all the states cooperating with this, which he doesn't. Of course not. But that was really all I wanted to talk about here is basically we find out, like, from them that they've fully locked down, like, the border. And doesn't Bubba try to convince Ellen to head that up and she just doesn't want to? Yeah. And his argument for this, I'm going to read a little passage with Bubba trying to convince Ellen about this because I found it kind of problematic. The passage reads... Okay, Bubba had said, then I need you on the border. Somebody has to head up this outfit, and if I go down there, they'll accuse me of outright insurrection. 
you're competent. Your husband is a well-known military figure. And, well, damn it, you're a woman. And those sexists in the press wouldn't label a woman an insurrectionist. You know, what's sexist is you saying that they wouldn't label her that because she's a woman. It's also a stupid argument because we now live in a world where January 6th happened and a bunch of right-wing conservatives rioted outside in the Capitol of the U.S., and there were women involved, and you know what we all called them? Insurrectionists. The other dumb thing is, during the Civil War period, there were women that were advocating for slavery and were pro-Confederate. You know what we called them? Insurrectionists. So, saying like that this is, like, feminism is going to prevent somebody from being called an insurrectionist is dumb. Well, and we talked on the long-lost recording also, you brought up this point, She's a military spouse, and using her husband as a good reason for her to do that is the opposite of a good idea because it could affect his military career. Correct. And there was a lady who, I don't remember her handle off the top of my head, but she said something to the effect of, like, basically she was pro-killing Biden. And the reason that causes a problem is you're advocating the assassination of the president. Which is treason. Yes. Um, she didn't at first understand, like, why people were telling her she needed to delete it, which she eventually did. The reason she needed to delete it was if she left that up and held those views, the U.S. government is going to go to her Marine husband, I believe he was in the Marines, and sit him down and be like, hey, your wife is talking about killing the president. We need to know, do you hold those same views? And it's not a freedom of speech thing because the military operates within the U.S., under separate laws. They do not have freedom of speech. I need to ask you then, because things to lead off of social media still exist in the ether. They can still try her for treason on that, right? Or well, get her she, husband on that. They wouldn't try him on treason. They would I more, said her, not him. Well, they wouldn't try her on treason. Like, you can speak generally. Like, like which is what she was doing. The reason it'll get her husband in trouble, though, is... If she's espousing these views, they're going to look at him and be like, well, you married her. Clearly, you probably hold these views. Well, what I'm saying, what I'm meaning to ask, I guess I didn't ask that very well, is they can still find that even though she deleted that. Can they still go to him and say, hey, what the fuck? Yeah, and I guarantee you that conversation happened. And I'm willing to bet that he basically had to argue his place of staying in the military and being like, oh, she misspoke and... Like, her deleting it was her misspeaking. And he probably had to do some major ass-casing to hold on to his job. Because a part of going into the military is defending the U.S. And part of that is basically you taking an oath saying, like, whoever's president, they are your commander. Right. That's why commander-in-chief is a part of that title. Right. And that the most important person to you is the president. Like, and I bet you that was an like if she had left that up and kept like digging digging and digging like her hole even deeper and deeper about how she was pro killing President Biden, I bet you it would have been a really awkward conversation for him of do you want to keep your military career or do you want to keep your wife? Yeah, that's why like that kind of stuff is is stupid to sit there and say like oh they wouldn't care that blah 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 is a woman and an insurrectionist it's like that's not true right it's gonna affect not only herself but her husband and his military career and his whole life is his military career if he loses that brett hawthorne loses his identity let's be real 
and Brett already has some like bad blood between Prescott and himself. Like where you don't think Prescott wouldn't like jump on something like this and be like, Oh, he's an insurrectionist. Bye. We're getting to the point where basically Hawthorne threw a fit directly to Prescott when he got brought home about why he didn't do what he told him to do in the tape. And now he's basically being heavily monitored by Prescott. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not a good argument, Bubba. And what's stupid is Bubba makes like the same argument later on in the book when Prescott wants to meet with him in New York. And Bubba sits there and says, this is a trap to get me to come to New York so they can arrest me. Because I'm not sending National Guardsmen up there. Right. He sends Ellen in his day. And it's under, like, almost the exact same logic of, well, liberals and leftists won't ever do anything because that would make them anti-feminist if they did it to a woman. And it's like, that's not the logic people think under. And also, she's Brett Hawthorne's Mm -hmm. wife. And Brett Hawthorne's important. It's it's a equality thing. Mm -hmm. We treat everybody equally. To an extent. And to an extent. And that is why she would be held to the same standard. Like, it's not a, oh, I gotta be gentle with you. You're a lady. And if anything, her being um, Brett Hawthorne's wife is not something that bodes well for her in a situation with Prescott or people who are supporting Prescott and his beliefs because she is very openly supporting her husband and his behavior. And now we're gonna jump to uh, Soledad and... Her group have done, like, the prison break. And then this is them, like, in the hideout. And I'm going to read through this because there is a part in it we need to talk about that is stupid. Go figure. Ben Shapiro writing something stupid. They came outside the city. No fires. No lights. They'd separated after Detroit. Split up to avoid being followed. They set the rendezvous for Nashville. Three days later, Soledad recommended that they wind their way through several states to throw any would-be trackers off the scent. She took Ezekiel west, then south. Aiden took Ricky east, then doubled back through Kentucky. Nearly all the men made it. A few apparently decided they'd have enough after Detroit, after seeing their faces on television. And watching their friends get killed. Labeled white supremacists. They took off for the hills. Soledad told them to ditch all their electronic gear to make for the northern border if they could. So she's telling them to immigrate to Canada. Immigrate, (laughs) Ben Shapiro, to Canada. You have to walk up there and ask for asylum. (laughs) But also, the reason this is stupid is the people that Soledad is with would also be the kinds of people that are already being called white supremacists. I don't think they're going to go, oh, no, the news labeled me a white supremacist. Oh, my feelings while I wear this jacket emblazoned with Nazi imagery. I don't think they're defecting because of their feelings, though. They're defecting because now they know that their lives could be in danger or that they could serve life in prison or something. They're being publicly shamed. Yeah. But it's, it's also one of those things of Ben Shapiro not understanding the whole concept and he qualifies in this concept the saying of what do you call somebody that doesn't that says they're not a nazi but then goes and sits down at a table full of nazis you call that a table full of nazis yes 
Because a Nazi sympathizer, in my eyes, is a Nazi. Because anybody that is going to be like, well, they're not bad. You just get to need to know them as people. That's telling me that you're bad and you've been bad the whole time. Like, you're not somebody that's sitting there saying, I'm actually trying to help them do the work to de-radicalize them. You're just sitting down with them and excusing their behavior. Right. And I'm sorry, if you can excuse that kind of behavior, then you're a bad person too. And Ben Shapiro, as an entity in politics and media, he exists to excuse the fascist and anti-Semitic behavior of right-wing people. That's why he's allowed to be in that circle. He's literally their scapegoat. A recent example of this was Musk losing a lot of advertisers due to being anti-Semitic and liking like posts related to great white replacement theory is recently been hanging out with Ben Shapiro because he's trying to clean up his image. Ironically, he's also hanging out with Alex Jones, which is going to undo all of that. <laughs> like, so, like, he he exists to basically wash your public persona. Like, that's why he gets money. And Ben Shapiro, as we have seen this week, with his new song, will do anything for money. Yes, and we will get to his stupid, stupid rap song. We can't not talk about that, but we want to finish talking about the book first. But I just want to make the point that he will do anything for money. So later on in this chapter, Ricky, they basically they've all like disbanded. But Ricky, Soledad, and Aiden are together and they're on motorbikes. And it's storming. We find out that like Levon made a deal with the president to have the president basically send out military equipment to kill a U.S. citizen. The president would never agree to that. Like, on U.S. soil, that is not going to happen. <laughs> because the press would have a field day with that, regardless of your political party, if you're assassinating people. They would just, it would cause too big of a shitstorm for any president to, like, be able to withstand. Even if we're talking about someone who is a terrorist like Soledad... He's still not going to go sniping people just because this new political figure said so. They send out a predator drone to hunt down Aiden, Ricky, and Soledad. And the reason they find out where they're at, like, kind of exactly and are able to stalk them with the predator drone is Ezekiel double-crosses them. Well, Ezekiel infiltrated them. He was yeah, on the other like, side the whole time. Yeah. That's the big twist with this. And again, the book is just full of stupid twists. Like, it's just... They're like not exciting twists. There's no payoff with them, like, at all. Well, I mean, there kind of is with this one, because he made a deal with those people so that he would... Or so that they would spare Soledad, because he grew attached to her. So there was a payoff for that. Yeah, but it's also one of those things, like, I don't think the U.S. government would care if she dies, because also... During the drone attack is semi-successful, but it also like turns around to go back at them. It's not the government that wanted her to survive. It was um, Ezekiel wanted her to survive. They were going to kill her no, as I, part of that deal. I know, but it's what I'm saying is he he asks for that, mm-hmm. but clearly the government doesn't care because the drone does turn around and try to kill both Ricky and Soledad. I think it was just turning around to kill Ricky. But. I think they did uphold their deal because there is something where he's because there's a scene where they have Ezekiel saying something about I did my part. You have to do yours or whatever about sparing her. Yeah. So I think they spared her on purpose. They might have. 
But they would, of course, they were still going to do something about her anyway. So maybe they didn't spare her on purpose and it just kind of lucked out that way. Yeah, but... We can't really be sure. Anyway, Aiden, with his knowledge from the federal government, sees the Predator drone through a lightning strike in the storm. And decides, that was supposed to be an epic scene. Decides that they need to get off the road and drive for the trees. Now, judging by this, they are somewhere in the Midwest. Not that the Midwest doesn't have, like, forested areas. There are. Bruh, I'm from Wisconsin. There's lots of woods in Wisconsin. But the fact that they're driving through, like, a field to get away from this leads me to believe, like, they're in farm country. So heading for, like, a tree line isn't really, like, great cover from a drone. It depends on where you are, because there were a lot of trees around the farm I grew up on. Yeah. It's either way, it's but it's also silly. Like the drones are heat-seeking devices, so they're yeah. gonna still follow them. They're not gonna lose the trail before they get to the woods. He also, in this passage, treats the drone like it's an actual plane. Like it has to like make passbys, and like if there's one thing drones can do, it's yes, they will still like maintain like an altitude and momentum of moving forward, but they can slow down enough to where it seems like they're hovering. Yeah. And that is something that's not wrote in this. It's like the drone like acts like an airplane. It makes sweeps above and yeah. sweeps above again and circles around. And he, it's silly. He also acts like the drone does not have thermal imaging. Which is exactly how they track things. Which they have a multitude of imaging software on those things. The main one being thermal in- imaging because you can see people and vehicles through it very clearly. It's why the police use thermal imaging on their choppers when they're chasing people. Yeah. And they have to call for air support. Yeah. But drone ends up attacking them, and as they're trying to make for the tree line on their motorbikes, shoots a missile, blows up Aiden. And then it's just Ricky and Soledad, and it's starting to sweep back around, and they manage to make it to the tree line. But it's also kind of dumb in the sense of they act like there's only one rocket. Like, the thing could only shoot at one area at a time. It's knowingly pursuing three-plus people, or was expecting to pursue three-plus people, with the intention of killing multiple people. Yeah. So it would have multiple bombs or missiles or whatever to drop on them. Yes. So that's very silly logic. I completely agree with you. And to act like that you'd be able to... Would it give you some cover? Yes. But to act like you'd have full cover by running into a tree line from thermal imaging is a little silly. Especially when you're riding on something that is itself just a giant heater. And it's raining and the ground is cool. The trees are cool. The only other heat's going to be other animals that might pick up on. Because animals in the forest in like the Midwest and stuff aren't typically huge animals. But yeah, in the, in the later chapter we essentially find out that Levon is the one that asked them to drone strike them. Oh, yeah, he has a conversation with Prescott on the phone, right? While his feet are up in his new office because he's the new reverend. Mm-hmm. And, like, the new person in charge of police reform. And then we're going to jump forward now to Brett. Brett gets in trouble. When he goes to New York, he basically sits there and knows, like, oh, blah, 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 is doing terrorism from, I recognize them from this, and I know they're in the U.S., So there's this Kim Muhammad that was there when he was held captive that he overheard the head honcho telling him to go to America and do some stuff. So he knows this kid is here and that he's going to do some sort. He's going to try to inspire some sort of internal terrorism. 
within the Muslim community in the United States. One of the dumb things with it is he goes to the airport and he asks for like files on all these, all the people that have entered the U.S. within like the last month that are of Aramaic or Muslim descent. He wants to see all those pictures because he's looking for the guy he saw at the place where they were holding him captive in Iran. And the guy that's supposed to go get those, get that stuff for him goes, Sir, I'm, I'm not going to let you uh, make me party to racial profiling. And it's dumb because that's not how racial profiling works. Right. Like, he knows what the kid looks like. He knows mm. the kid's ethnicity. He knows where the kid is coming from. Like, that's mm. not racial profiling. That's saying, I know who this is. This is a description of him. Racial profiling would be Brett showing up in New York having no idea who actually committed the terror attack and just going, well, it's got to be somebody that's Arab because only Arabs do terrorism. Exactly. And telling that to the kid. Right. But he actually has a lead and it's an actual person he has seen. Having having a lead on something is not racial profiling. And he brings it up again later on with like Prescott as well. Where they just do the, oh, no, he's going to make me racial, like, he's going to get me accused of racial profiling. It's like, that is not what that is. So what Ben Shapiro is doing (laughs) with this is he's trying to basically say that people on the left are so afraid of being politically incorrect or whatever to the point where we won't, in a situation like this, do the right thing and take the description. Well, no. That we're going to assume everything is racial profiling. And also, he's trying to dumb it down to be like, see, racial profiling doesn't exist. And it's like, Ben, if that were true, the statement of driving while black would not exist. And ooh, boy, does that exist. <laughs> and there have been plenty of officers that have gotten in trouble for doing just that, for pulling over people just because they're like well you were black or hispanic (laughs) or asian or any other race other than white honestly i'm gonna i'm going to tell a personal story right now of when my mom was racially profiled as a white woman which is weird and it was weird when it happened when i was younger we were in boy scouts and in boy scouts you go on campouts. yeah My mom was one of the people that was in charge of supervising kids. Like, she volunteered to be one of the the guardians on this trip. Yeah, your mom's a nice lady. I could see that. And so, of course, she had me, my brother, and two other Boy Scouts in in the Jeep Cherokee we were in. Okay. Us being Boy Scouts, we had some buckets that had clothes in it, but we also had a lot of trash bags with clothes in it. Like, because... We were going camping for the weekend. It's an easy way to pack things up quickly. Yeah, you, you're just going to have garbage bags with crap, with with your stuff <laughs> in it. It's just easy to do, like your sleeping bag and tents and stuff like that. Yeah. And so the back was packed with four kids, like, camping gear. Okay. And trash bags. So not the back seat, just the trunk area. My mom got pulled over by a police officer. And that police officer thought my mom was an illegal immigrant. Are you serious right now? He saw the trash bags and dis- and clearly and audibly, this was before... Body cams? Before body cam. Like, this was mid to late 90s. This was before body cams and, like, dashboard cameras were everywhere. 
he clearly and audibly, like, with my mom's window down, let her off with a warning, but we all heard him say, shit, she's not Mexican. Are you serious? You've never told me that story. Yeah, like, it's just something now I'm remembering from my childhood. Um, so yeah, I've, I've witnessed it. Like I've, I've been there, like, and the whole reason he pulled her over was because he saw the trash bags in the back. Well, in last episode, I told you guys the story of my friend from work who, as a passenger, is the one whenever he and his white friends get pulled over, gets patted down and everything Mm -hmm. because he's mixed. So yes, racial profiling exists. Like, it's a thing. It's a really fucked up thing. And like... That whole situation happened because that guy saw trash bags in the back of a Jeep. That, I believe that because I know our police here are awful, but it's just wow. Like, I, wow. Just wow. That's so fucked up. Just so fucked up. So later on, we're going to move forward now. (laughs) But later on, Brett gets in touch with Derek, his high school buddy, who now goes by Hassan. Because he converted to Muslim, right? Yeah, yeah, he he basically converted over to Islam and changed his name with that conversion. But we find out that Hassan has been working for the U.S. government to infiltrate uh, mosques. And he's there to basically rat out radicals to the U.S. government and catch them before they can commit terroristic acts. Speaking of racial profiling and racism. Now, the reason that's all bullshit is... The U.S. government actually tried to do that, particularly the FBI, who's in charge of counterterrorism and all that, and especially got heavily involved in that after 9-11. They tried to do that. They, they kept sending in undercover agents into mosques, and then those mosque leaders were calling the U.S. government going, hey, there's a really kooky weirdo guy that keeps talking to us about wanting to bomb things or build a bomb, or if we know anybody that can bomb anything, and... Then the U.S. government had to be like, oh, shit, pull him out. Like, because... Their guys were getting reported for terrorism. Their people were being reported as terrorists because <laughs> the people in those mosques were normal people going, I'm not going to commit terrorism. So, like, that's why this character's bullshit. His job would set off red flags for most people to be like, so, like, what are we doing here? Anybody want to go bomb something with me? Like, I'm sure he's more subtle than that. Like, how would you even broach that conversation? Like, well, I'm sure how would you do that? It's a little more subtle than that, where they're going to befriend them, and then eventually it's going to be like, yeah, I, re- I really hate this about the government. We should do something. I know a guy, if you want to, like, chip in and we can we can build a bomb, like... And then those so pe- cringy and those awful. people to where yeah they may have problems with the U.S. government turned around and like phoned, told the U.S. government phoned the FBI hey I've been talking to this one guy and yeah I may not be huge fans of you but he's wanting to kill people yeah so Hassan's whole backstory of like thwarting terrorism by infiltrating mosques is utter bullshit. And then they, in this book, cut his job, I'm putting in air quotes, because Prescott thought it was racial profiling and thusly bad for his image. And it is racial profiling, so that's correct. It is racial profiling, and it is bad for his image. And the FBI has, and I'm going to be partially, the FBI has also been busted a number of times for doing this with right-wing extremists. Do I think, like, they have a case in some some instances of doing this? Yes. But you should not be in the case itself 
agitating and instigating. If you are going undercover in a right-wing extremist white supremacist group, it shouldn't be coming out of the FBI agent's mouth of, we should bomb something. No, you're (laughs) supposed to be spying on them and seeing what their operation is about and how extreme their measures are naturally. Like, and it's something they also do to like during the 60s and into the 70s. They were also doing that to leftist organizations. They probably of, still are. Of infiltrating. Oh, you know, they are. Um, of infiltrating and being like, hey, we should do a terrorism. Like, And it's, it's one of those things of you as an agent shouldn't be the one suggesting that. No, because most people don't think to do that kind of crap because we're not that violent by nature. You as an agent should be there just for when they start talking about doing that and be like, oh shit, okay, we should definitely keep tabs and like, I'm going to keep monitoring this. So do not at any point think like that I'm a fan of like the FBI in this regard. I do think it's really fucked up that they keep going into situations like this and it keeps coming out that ultimately like, who thought of the terrorist plot? Oh, it was Bill. And then it was Bill, the spy. Bill is actually like an FBI agent. Bill, the spy that framed me. Now we're going to jump forward to what I've notated in here as like Ben Shapiro's fascist fantasy Oof. from the point of view of Ellen. And this is, um, she has been sent to New York again under the guise of similarly being sent to the border where Baba Davis is going, well, you're not me and also you're a woman, so this will look bad. It would look good if I sent the wife of a famous military man who came home to meet her husband. It would look so much better for that to happen than if I went. Yeah, but this is the passage and we'll talk about how this is like literally, like if there is something that I think Ben Shapiro jerks off to, it's this. But what she found in New York wasn't the chaos she had expected. Instead, the military had done a brilliant job of cleaning up the city. Businesses had opened up again. Traffic clogged the main arteries. The dredging of the Hudson had just about come to its conclusion, although the Coast Guard still patrolled the waters in heavy numbers. Military men and women seemed to throng throughout the city, occupying every coffee house, every restaurant. This, she thought. Must have been what World War II felt like. The effect was oddly calming. With armed men and women everywhere, she didn't feel nervous. She felt reassured. No terrorists would be shooting up a restaurant anywhere near here. And she had to admit, she felt safer in Midtown Manhattan than she ever felt in El Paso, Texas. So it's him basically saying, Oh boy, all these military people with guns, they can keep me safe from... The bad, bad Muslim, Arabs, and Islamists. No one's going to find having their city filled with military men oddly calming, in air quotes. That would give me anxiety, and I'd be afraid to leave my home. Which That would not make me comfortable. And with that comes, the military probably also throughout the city mm-hmm. has a bunch of checkpoints set up now that you have to go through. And again, it's further proof to me that, like, Ben Shapiro is, like, jacking off to, like, a fascist fantasy of going, oh, what if we just had a bunch of military in there? Oh, that would be so secure, so safe. So he wants the United States to be a military state. Yeah, like, he he would like, he would like to see, like, that presence. That would be another reason I would definitely consider other options other than America, because that would make me constantly uncomfortable. Like, just as a normal person, I imagine that would make people uncomfortable, but I have severe anxiety. 
So I would be terrified to leave my home, which would then trigger my depression because I'd always be home. And again, nobody wants to live like that. He's also trying to bring up the gun debate very subtly in this going, well, there's so many good guys with guns around here. Nobody would do anything. And it's like, yeah, you can say the military is better, more proficient with guns than the anybody. But it's also one of those things of we shouldn't need to live in a society where everybody is packing a gun. No. To live peacefully. No, because there is no peace in that. There's only anxiety and discomfort in right. that. That that should not exist in a world. Like, that doesn't need to be a thing. And he also brings up El Paso, Texas again, trying to be like, oh, it's a crime-ridden shithole. But it's it's not. It's, again, if you look at the actual stats, like, and I'm talking, like, if you go to FBI.gov and you look up crime stats, El Paso is one of the safest border cities you could live in. Well done, Mr. Shapiro. Well done. Even by the times like he was po- like writing this and publishing this, like let's say he took two years to write this, like he started in 2014. I know it was published in like 2016. Let's say he wrote started writing in 2014. Even up to 2016, still one of the safest border cities. Oh, Mr. Shapiro. You really just don't count on your fan base to do any research. And you're right. Your fan base doesn't do any research. They get their information from you and Alex Jones. Your best friend that you hate so much. Because they don't care. So we're going to jump back a little just because I skipped over it and it is kind of important to talk about. There's a point in this where Ben Shapiro like lays his cards out on the table why Prescott is like an evil man. An evil, evil, like, liberal. And he does that after the terror attack. I can't find exactly where I notated in the book, but it's, we've dubbed it the love speech because that's what he refers to it as in his book. Oh, yeah. So in the love speech, there is an overweight elderly woman who starts yelling at President Prescott. And you did this, Mr. President. Like, she's upset that her husband died in the terror attack and she's blaming him for his death. And like she, rightly so, is really pissed about like the fact that he died and how like she feels abandoned by the government and is angry at him about this. And Prescott rightly does not like make the Secret Service like haul her off or anything like that. But inside his internal thoughts, he's like, oh, this fucking lady, she's ruining my moment. Because throughout this speech, he's talking about how in his head how this is his moment that everybody will remember him by yeah and he invites her on stage and when she's like yelling at him like to his face like because of you my husband's dead and she's got a picture he makes the choice in his head to hug her Mm -hmm. and he says like he feels her at first like resist and then she collapses, bawling her eyes out into his shoulder and he's like in his head being very narcissistic going yeah the media is going to eat this up. And it's like, even if he's coming from it from that point of view, he is still showing way more empathy than the president that actually, like, recently we had, which was Trump, who would never fucking do that. He would have immediately called for Secret Service to drag her off. Unless she was some sexy young thing, he don't want nothing to do with it. I would argue that anybody that wants to be president is probably a fucking narcissist. I mean, I suppose so, yeah. To some level. Like, I don't think you want that job unless you're that kind of person. Like, you have to have some level of narcissism. Because in a lot of people's heads, the President of the United States is the most important person in the world. 
I almost vomited saying that, but a lot of people do see it that way. He gives he gives what's dubbed the love speech, and he sees his like poll numbers rise and all that. But Ben Shapiro is making it seem in this situation that he like this is how evil he is. He even co-ops a woman's grief. Basically, throughout the book, Shapiro tries to make this President Obama type just seem like a douchebag and a selfish person because again, he hates Obama, and this is propaganda in a way, against Barack Obama and his presidency. So with that, we, like, basically we find out later, and this is where we're going to be talking about our setup here toward the end of the book, that Prescott is going to hold another big speech-slash-rally in New York to talk about how they're coming together as a nation and all that. And Soledad, because she's angry and, like, her whole motive is revenge... Mm-hmm. has been like obsessed with getting her revenge now that Aiden has died. It's only made her more vengeful because Aiden was like her closest like confidant in that group. Like he was her right hand man basically. So and, now she's out to kill Prescott. Yeah, and before that we have Brett is running around in New York with Hassan. He keeps like avoiding his detail that has been put on him like to monitor him and like keep him in confined in a hotel and it's like if that were true like if he was this big of a threat they would just lock him in a jail right they, they would put him in a high security cell they wouldn't they wouldn't put him in a hotel they would just take him to a police station and be like you're gonna be in here for the next 48 hours because you're being a jackass well i think shapiro is trying to make it seem like prescott still wants to use um brett for political gain so he's trying to hold him comfortably so he can try to get him to see his side. I would say the dumbest part in the whole fleeing his captors with Brett is him jumping over guardrails and landing on top of a moving train. Oh yeah, because they end up in a subway. <laughs> like that wouldn't break his legs. Yeah. Or his back <laughs> if he landed on his back. I can't remember how he landed, but he would have broken something. Basically, Brett Hawthorne... Brett Hawthorne, if you will, is invincible. That's why I keep saying his name like that, but um, my throat's a little dry today, guys, so I can't quite hit that. So you got Whisper Speak instead. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Now, we're going to jump forward to, like, and, like, Brett's, like, again, like, the whole, like, there, there is definitely, like, Brett seems to be invincible in New York. Like, he wounds him in, like, Iran, but then he does a bunch of crazy shit that would hurt him physically and he seems to like get a few bumps and bruises but otherwise be okay he's like a wrestler taking a couple bumps here and there brett hawthorne wwe champion but soledad's plot then moves to where she is now enraged by aiden's death to where she decides she's gonna kill the president and like that's her like new motive yeah she wants to kill the president and she knows that the president's gonna be publicly speaking And so I'm going to read a passage and then we're going to discuss this. They had turned their motorcycles towards New York City. Soledad felt the handgun in her purse. It was a 3D printed plastic gun. She'd bought it from a gun enthusiast in Ohio. He'd been a nutcase, obsessed with weaponry, with an industry-grade printer in his garage. Prior 3D printed guns had been made with a few key pieces of metal to absorb the explosion of the gunpowder in the bullet but this guy had perfected a method of making specialized bullets 
with a thicker shell that could absorb the burst of the explosion. That meant no metal in the gun at all, just metal in the bullet. The plastic gun could be hidden in the bottom of her purse and wouldn't set off a metal detector. And she could hide the bullet virtually anywhere. She chose to embed it in a pair of gaudy dangling earrings. First of all, plastic can't withstand the heat it takes to fire a bullet, right? Well, you can make a thicker plastic, and there are people that have produced plastic guns, but those are usually like one or two shots. Problem mm-hmm. is, like, again, the reason you can only get one or two shots is it does melt the plastic because you're yeah. doing an explosion. That's my point. Now, the other problem I had with this was, and again, it's just Ben Shapiro not understanding things or putting any logic into his book. If you're making a thicker bullet with a thicker shell casing, that is going to be a heavier bullet. Why are you hiding that on earrings? Ben Shapiro has probably never worn earrings in his life. I collect earrings and I can tell you something that heavy would probably rip your earlobe. Either rip your earlobe or, or be really uncomfortable. Be super uncomfortable to wear. Why wouldn't you hide it in a necklace? Like Or on a bracelet as like a charm? And again, like having it out in the open like that, like it's going to look weird that you have one earring with a bolt, like a heavy bullet on it that's like weighing down one ear. What is this? That he probably has, she probably has one in each ear. Yeah. And that would look uncomfortable if it even managed to stay in her ear and not rip her earlobe also if there's something that's going to distract any security there it's gaudy earrings you're still gonna see the bullet because it's probably in the middle of like a circular earring with like a design around it or something like it would make more sense to hide it on like a bracelet as a charm or a necklace yeah let's be honest a necklace is what makes the most sense because you can put that under your shirt And it's heavy, and a necklace is already being weighed down by whatever charm anyway. Yeah. That's why people wear a lot of, like, their protection stones and stuff on necklaces. Yeah. Instead of earrings. And I don't partake in, like, right-wing gun culture stuff, but I am almost 100% sure there's probably bullet necklaces out there and bullet bracelets. I could almost guarantee I could probably Google that and find it. Probably. it's, It's ridiculous to act like you couldn't hide it that way. Yeah. I mean, I like jewelry, but I'm not a gun enthusiast, so I don't really know what that would look like or how common that is, but it probably does exist. There's jewelry for everything. But the other thing with this is that we have to talk about now, and we did talk about this in our last Missing in the Ether episode, is this is Ben Shapiro now condoning the political assassination of an opposition party president. So he's condoning treason now. He condones domestic terrorism and treason and the murder of the United States president if you don't agree with their motives. So it's one of those things of you have to ask yourself, is he okay with this? Clearly he is. I would argue just by what's in the book, I think he's okay with it. I think based in circumstance, he would argue that, well, you have to look at where she's coming from. And like where she's coming from is hatred. Yeah. Like it's not logical. Like, His death would not serve a greater good. She's upset at bureaucracy and she's going to kill the president. The president does not have like unyielding powers. Like they're, they're, they're not a king. And even if they were, someone's going to take Prescott's place. His VP would take his place. And she'd probably hate him too. Yeah. Him or her. We don't even really get to meet the VP, which well, is weird. We get into that in the epilogue. Okay. But, I forgot. It's been a minute and I hate this book so much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of those things of similar to our 
discussion around domestic terrorism what makes this okay in ben's mind like he's he, like because he is not writing her as a villain she, no she's she, an empathetic character she's wrote out for you to like connect with and feel for where she's coming from like she is not a bad person in his book no but, she's supposed to be like the heartwarming character in this book like Brett's the action hero, and Soledad is, like, the heart, quote-unquote, of the story. And he's trying to excuse the assassination he's writing in here by using the drone strike. But that still doesn't make it okay. Like, a death for a death doesn't solve anything. It just makes her just as bad as him. But it's it's one of those things to where, yes, like, it's gross we have to touch on this, but we actually have to think about now, like, what is Ben Shapiro's views on this? Because it just adds into the political terrorism of, if he's telling us to think about, like, where the terrorist comes from, and his terrorist in the book is now escalating to political assassination, we can glean from that. We'll think about where the polit- the polit- political assassinator is coming from but by excusing one of her actions she is now escalated to another action yeah. so you still have to take action yeah somehow or they're gonna escalate to something like assassinating the president because yeah. they got away with blowing up the water plant now she's gonna go kill the president now her and this is where like her and brett first cross paths is her and brett and end up in new york at this at the president's speech where he also has an imam now, what we know in the book, and that Brett knows, is that the imam has a duffel bag with a nuclear device in it. And the imam is planning on blowing up the nuclear device at Prescott's speech, killing thousands of people in New York. Now, the reason this is stupid is usually people that run terror- terroristic organizations have acolytes and things like that that actually do the terrorism. They don't do it themselves. There's no power in that. There's no prestige in that. And their motives end with their death. Yeah. So that that's not something that would happen. So it's a very dumb that Ben wrote it in there. But they meet up and they meet up in New York and basically we're gonna we're gonna get to where Brett and Soledad cross paths in New York, but before that we're gonna talk about this. So Brett is hearing the speech, and during the speech, he starts yelling about how Prescott doesn't talk about all the men and women that died in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's dumb to make when you've been a pro warmonger like Ben Shapiro has as like an argument to be like, oh, this this liberal's out of touch because he won't talk about the fallen soldiers. President Bush, which Ben Shapiro was really gung ho for during his presidency, Ugh. never mentioned the dead. And the reason he didn't is it made the war unsavory to the American populace. Because we're seeing our friends and family die. Just like the Vietnam War started to become really fucking unpopular when people started seeing the death toll. And that's why they made the actionable decision to not talk about the dead. Because they didn't want to remind people, oh yeah, you're sending your children over to die. And for what? Like, <laughs> like the end doesn't justify the means in this like, scenario. Like you'll hear people sit there and complain about like the military not being able to hit the numbers they need to hit anymore. The reason they can is people in our generation and younger have realized the military has just become a weapon for commerce and not defense. Yeah. So why are you going to join the military if they're going to send you to something that has nothing to do with U.S. interests other than the fact that a company 
likes the fact that there's oil fields in that comp- in that country and they want us in there. Right. And then I'm going to go die because you got greedy? No. So it's it's dumb of Ben Shapiro to mention that Prescott doesn't talk about the dead. No president has during war times. And, no, and like Bush didn't. Like you just don't do that if you support and want to stay into the war. You just don't do it because people will pull out or at least take their support from that. And then later on in that crowd, Hawthorne bumps into Soledad and sees that she has her hand on her plastic gun in her purse. And you would think for somebody that really fucking hates Prescott, it's weird that he intercepts her and tries to stop her. Because in my logic, if I know somebody has a bomb up there, wouldn't it cause a really big distraction and make everybody flee if the president gets shot at? But could you justify letting her kill the president? I mean, I guess it'd be the death of one versus the death of many. Yeah. That conundrum. But for somebody that, like, thinks that... The reason I'm saying this is for somebody that thinks that Prescott is, like... The devil. The devil and is, like, ruining the country... Why would Brett care that somebody showed up to kill him? Probably Ben Shapiro trying to act like Brett Hawthorne has some moral compass or something. Like, I don't know. His his motivation doesn't make sense is what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't, to me, the character that I've read doesn't seem like they would interfere in that. Maybe because he's a soldier in the military, it's his natural instinct to protect the president. And it's not an actual thought in his mind before he's acting. Maybe it's an instinctual thing. It's possible, but... Overall, like, I, I just don't know if that character that we've been introduced to throughout this book with all his biases and weirdness of, like... Because we've seen him already act so many times not like a military member. This is true. And we've seen him be very immature and behave in ways and, that endanger people, like and, he did with the diplomat. Yeah, and combative. Like, like so, like, that's why I'm, like... A, he acts like a child most of the time. I, I feel like Ben is just trying to make him intercept her to be like... Look, he cares for the country, regardless of president. But I don't feel like that's true to this character. I don't think Brett would have stopped her. He's very inconsistent with his character, the way he writes Brett. And that this is like the ultimate inconsistency. So I can see what you're saying there. It's just not consistent with what we have. So pick a lane, which character is he? But he ends up fighting Soledad for the plastic gun and it goes off and Soledad gets away. But everybody thinks Brett is the one that was there to kill the president. Again, further emphasizing that this is weird for his character. If everybody immediately thinks, oh, you're the guy trying to kill the president because you hate him. Like, so he gets locked up. And before this, there was a little meeting that he fled from where Ellen was in, in New York and Ellen got on Air Force One. And she's supposed to fly back with the president to Washington, D.C. to discuss things further with Texas. Well, and I think also to negotiate um, Brett's punishment. Yes. So after the gun goes off, speech canceled. So presidents rushed off the, the stage by Secret Service and rushed to Air Force One. And so is the imam. The imam's buddy grabs the bomb and they head for air force one and ellen is with them as well yes so ellen's on the plane in air force one the mom gets on the plane with the bomb with his buddy and we enter one of the stupidest things again this book is full of just <laughs> banger dumbassery like 
Ben Shapiro, you're not a smart man. You are not as smart as you think you are. You speak well, but you don't write well, and you're an idiot. So the nuke ends up on the plane. This bomb, this dirty nuke, ends up on the plane with Prescott the president on Air Force One and Ellen and all his like staff people that are there. And the plane takes off. They're heading back to D.C. Prescott is pissed because his, like one of his big speeches was ruined. You like, ruined my moment again, goddammit. Like, Again, he like he felt like this was going to be like his biggest thing since his love speech, but he's upset about that and like walks to the back of the plane and Ellen starts getting really suspicious of the imam on there because apparently she inherited Brett Hawthorne's racism, and but then she notices that he's being weird with his phone and like keeps looking out the window and she puts two and two together and figures out that he has a bomb. But then she realizes nobody's going to stop him with the bond because they're all too politically correct. Because tackling this man would be racist. Like, yeah, like it's it's so dumb that, that his argument for why nobody else helped, like because she lunges at him to try and get him to not detonate the bomb over New York. The reason this is stupid is she basically says the whole plane is paralyzed, not with fear, but political correctness. Right, because again, people on our side of the fence are just so afraid of just people thinking we're racist or evil if we accuse anybody of anything that's not white. Like, oh no, he, she's nobody can stop him from detonating the bomb because they're paralyzed with their political correctness. In any situation like this, I feel like maybe I'd be paralyzed by fear, or I would be instinctually just trying to act to make a Hail Mary to save everyone's lives. Like, political correctness would be the furthest thing from my mind in that moment. But she fails to stop the bomb. Now, in her failure to stop the bomb, she whispers the phrase that her and her husband have been saying to each other throughout the book, instead of I love you, which is, take a bullet for you, babe. And she lunges at him. She fails. The plane was over New York, and he detonates the nuke. Now, we don't know where Brett was being held, but apparently he's able to see this out of his cell window. Yeah. And it talks about how he can see, like, the mushroom cloud appearing through the through the cell window and all that. And, like, the plane was at a low altitude over New York, so thousands in New York die. The problem with this is, and I did some reading on this, is it likely that there'd be a mushroom cloud? It could happen, but from what I understand, a lot of bombs of this nature, when they have been detonated at a higher altitude, do not actually have a stem on the mushroom cloud. You will see the cap of the mushroom, mm -hmm. but you will not see an actual stem of the mushroom cloud. Because the explosion's base is up here, it's yes. not down on the ground. Because what is happening when you detonate one on the ground, the, where the stem comes from is the debris and basically all that stuff being sucked up and pushed up because it needs a place to go. Right, but there's no debris from the ground in an air explosion because the explosion is in the air. Yes. So can a stem happen? Yes, that's possible. Is it likely? Not very. Yeah. Like it would really depend on what level of altitude that plane was at on if an, if an actual stem of a mushroom cloud would appear. Well, it's not like he didn't try to detonate this plane like right away as they were in liftoff mode. I think he waited for a no, bit. No, they, they were they were over the city when yeah. he detonated it. So then it would have been at a higher altitude yeah. where 
very few people would have even noticed them flying until the explosion happened. Yeah, and it, again, it's just been not doing research. Or ben wanting, didn't do any research wanting, for this book. Wanting to write something just because in his head he's like, this looks cool. Failed screenwriter. Something yep. that would translate in his mind to a movie. And also one of the things that both of us have joked about with each other is, is Ellen like supposed to represent in the book Ben Shapiro's wife? And if so, did she at one point ask him to do dishes and him just go back to his book and be like, I'm going to fucking kill you in my book. <laughs> Tell me to do dishes. You're going to die in a nuclear explosion. Oh my God. Like, I mean, Ben Shapiro is that petty. Like, he is 100% that bitch. Did he do that? Like, <laughs> There's a chance. Maybe. <laughs> there's definitely a chance. Now, on that on that note, though, we <laughs> we leave this and go into the epilogue. And in the epilogue, this is after Brett is still being held. Because, again, like, they think he tried to assassinate the president. They have no proof of Soledad being there. Yeah. And the president just died. So now he's probably also linked to that as a terrorist. Because they probably think he was in on it. Yeah. And... So we're in the epilogue. We find out that the vice president is a lady, of course. So Ben Shapiro's got to have problems with that because she's a female running the country. Of course. And Levon has basically started doing community policing. Now, Ben Shapiro, when he writes about it, makes it really fucking gross and racist. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Like, he's still not not being racist with him. Um, and we also enter from Soledad and Ricky. Ricky still feels bad for killing Kendrick. So Mm -hmm. Ricky decides to sacrifice himself to get Brett out. Now, Ricky dresses up in Aiden's SWAT gear, which means they're probably a similar build for it to look normal. It would have to be. Well, this is where Ben Shapiro, like, fucks up again. Because he's height-checked Aiden at being 5'10", and he's put Brett at, like, 6'3", or 6'4", something. There's a good distance of height between them. And in my mind, I imagine, I don't know if he described it this way, but Brett is bulkier than Aiden. But you could say that Brett probably lost weight from being starved out or whatever. And so Ricky goes in to... The, what I would assume would be a maximum security facility, but apparently isn't because Ricky just goes in SWAT gear. <laughs> like, no one ID checks him or anything. <laughs> like, there, there are apparently no, like, levels of security for this. They're just like, oh, you're a cop? Welcome into the jail. <laughs> you don't look anything like the guy in your ID badge, but welcome on in. <laughs> right. And so he shows up and he switches places with Brett by giving him the SWAT gear and Brett's like, what about you? And he's like, oh, I need to serve my time. You need to go out there, though, because you're a hero. They don't even notice a different guy's walking out of the prison and but, walked in. But not just that. Like, Brett tried to stop Soledad from killing the president. So the only way I can figure in my mind that she would think Brett is a hero is to think that he had something to do with the nuclear device. That killed the president. Oh my god. Because she's a terrorist. Yeah. And wanted to kill the president. Like, why? What motives does she have to 
stop him or like to get him out like right oh my goodness it's a weird thing to put in there very awkward you just want an excuse to get his two main characters together yeah he just needed an excuse to be like oh you're the real american hero let me uh give let me sacrifice myself for you so brett puts on the swat gear which is probably going to be ill-fitting probably too small and look dopey when he's walking out of the prison but nobody in the prison stops him he's able to just walk out and everyone knows what brett hawthorne looks like he's been on the news since the beginning of this damn book he is probably the most high profile criminal in wherever he's being held currently Right. So it's ridiculous that he is able to just stroll right out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not ill, very good disguise. In ill-fitted SWAT gear. Correct. <laughs> and so he, he leaves and he gets in this van that Soledad's driving and then realizes it's Soledad, the person that tried to kill the president that he hated but loved enough to try and save. And he he grabs her by the neck and is like, give me a reason why I shouldn't kill you right now. And like, this is where we're like set up for the sequel to where she basically says, well, we got to go to Texas and help the revolutionaries. Like, because apparently Bubba Davis is still like got a huge hard on for a fight with the U.S. government. Right. And then they drive off into the sunset. Yeah, They drive off into the sunset and I've joked with and scarred the beautiful beautiful Elsa's mind by saying man I love how he's gotta call me beautiful because he knows he's gonna make me cringe so hard in the sequel all I can hope for is unwashed gross (laughs) sweaty terroristic sex between Brett Hawthorne and Soledad I mean we did kill off Ellen van (laughs) van sex to be precise (laughs) (laughs) see he had to call me beautiful because he knew he was gonna make me cry but that is how this book ends is he's setting up a like civil war two, like for for his book for (laughs) his book like he wants that to like be his sequel novel that if he writes will cover but i don't think he will write this book because a lot of people correctly critiqued his book on being like utter garbage and incredibly racist horrifically racist like this is racism the novel i will be shocked if we get a true allegiance to at some point follow up i will be so miserable if we get a true allegiance to because we are now obligated to read it but as a uh, as a palate cleanser if you could call it that i, I would just call it torture on the ears Ben Shapiro, and this is weirdly coincidental, we We didn't plan this out at all. Apparently the universe planned this out for us, decided to release a rap song. And Ben Shapiro's famous on Twitter for talking about how rap isn't music, rap isn't art. There's a ton of, like, him just shitting on rap music. He refers to it, to paraphrase, he refers to it as cultural degradation. Yeah, like, he's not subtle on his disdain for it. Yeah, so this last week he puts out a lovely, lovely rap track with an artist called Tom McDonald called Facts. Who both me and Elsa had never heard of before. Like, we're not big up on, like, rap and hip-hop, but we're enough to where we know some of the big names. And this man claims, like, we, so we went and did a, like, deep dive on his songs. He claims to be, like, the number one independent rapper, which he is not. Yeah, and this is weird. So this collaboration came into place because 
and I had Chris watch this with me actually because he let me know about the rap song. I found the interview that at one point Ben Shapiro did with Mr. McDonald and he basically offers up the idea of a collab saying it was an untapped area of potential for him and then lo and behold several months later here we are with facts and the bad thing about facts is besides being a bad song Tom McDonald is just because like we wanted to get an understanding of what does this man's music sound like he just hits on the same things over and over again about being proud to be American. Even though he's from Canada. Yeah, and the man is from Canada, so it's ridiculous. About how Mm -hmm. people are racist towards Mm -hmm. white people because white people have been the cause of racism since the beginning of time. Singing singing anti-trans stuff, also bringing up American flags all the time. And And it's anti-queer in general, not anti-trans, like like the two genders, and he lays heavily on that. like Like, it's very easy to write down, like, five things tom mcdonald writes about and basically like and sings about and be like if you want to make a tom mcdonald rap song this is all you have to hit on because he's an unoriginal hack but he also hits on the fact that he's not a quote-unquote rapper because he's bitter because he couldn't get into the industry the traditional way singing about the traditional things so now he's just going for the shock value of being offensive to the left and counting on the fact that the right will eat it up yeah, he he is a grifter. Like in his interview, he talks about how he's been doing this since the early two thousands. He likens and... himself to a younger Eminem, but he looks like boy in a band with braids <laughs> and face tattoos. He says like he's been doing this, and like so he knows how the industry thinks. And at one point, he had an awakening, and it's it just so happens that awakening happened when like Trump was becoming president. He realized these people will buy anything if you stamp MAGA on it. And he kind of figured out that people will ignore that he moved from Canada, a.k.a. he's an immigrant. If he mentions the American flag and American pride enough and collabs with enough American pride rappers, people will just forget he's from Canada and that he's an immigrant and that the people he raps with and he raps to would actually hate his guts because he's an immigrant. Well, and it made it more ridiculous because I think in one of his songs he even says, we got enough people here, time to close those borders or something like that. He does. And he also says, if you don't like it here, then leave. Yeah. And it's It's like, you aren't even from here. How dare you? Sir, you are from Canada. Like, it is ridiculous. And it's stupid that, like, right wing people are falling for his grift. Right. Just, ugh. He's not good. And the song itself is also not good. Like, they titled it Facts. Like, But it, where are the facts? There are no facts actually listed in the song. And at one point, Ben Shapiro even brings up the fact that uh, he sung the lyrics to WAP and, like... He calls it WAP. <laughs> yeah, he, call, he calls it WAP. But he also, like, he brings up the fact that the whole internet dunked on him when he admitted that he'd never gotten his wife off. Like, it's it's one of those things of, why are you doing, like, this is not something I would bring up in a million years. Like, is that the fact that everybody dunked on you for that? Right. Like, I played the clip on our socials where he talks about how his rendition of WAP, as he calls it. I think it's pronounced WAP, though, right? Yes, it is pronounced WAP. But he talks about how his rendition slaps harder than the Cardi B version, to put it in his own words, which I think is hilarious. That's why I had to share that clip with y'all. Yeah, he references WAP in the song too. He says the line, don't be a WAP, to rhyme with, this is a yamaka homie no cap. But yeah, 
none of it's good. There's no facts. They're just trying to push buttons and be offensive. And Tom McDonald's trying to get clout from Ben Shapiro's name because Ben Shapiro is a much wider known right-wing celebrity. I'm using that term loosely than he is. And it's working for him because their song almost made it to number one. I don't think that it actually did make it to number one. On YouTube, it didn't. They keep saying the algorithm is yeah, forcing like Megan the Stallion song above theirs. And it's it's the same thing with Spotify. He's not number one on there either. And like he's trying to argue that like, oh, this is this is just the music industry and big tech keeping a, keeping us down from hitting that number one. And it's like you're not number one because your song is garbage. In an interview that I had Chris watch with me earlier on the week of recording. Basically, Tom McDonald said that he felt like the record label industry basically has a relationship with YouTube to where they're forcing Megan Thee Stallion's video to be number one, even though theirs is doing better in all the metrics, technically speaking. I haven't looked into that claim, but I don't believe that for a second. I think Megan Thee Stallion has an actual cult following where these guys, they're a blip for a second because it's funny. Yeah, and like that's that's the other thing too, is they seem to be unaware that people that listened to their song once or twice like in our case like we did it because we find it ridiculously cringe and funny that this even occurred like i just skip to ben shapiro's part whenever i watch it because i just think it's hilarious that ben shapiro thinks he's a rapper now there are there are other things like musically to critique on the song like that prove that it's like a bad song and coming from like a point of which not to say this but like the right just sucks at the arts. They do. They're they're bad at it. They can't think creatively because they can't consider other people's perspectives. And part of being a creative is looking at things from varying perspectives. And Ben Shapiro has made it no secret that he was a classically trained violinist. At no point do they sample him playing violin in his rap song that's supposedly supposed to be about him. See, and I told Chris, like, during the breakdown where Tom McDonald goes, you mad, you mad, you mad, I would have had, like, a violin solo, like, or a violin with, like, the beat, like, because they drop, or I think they slow up the beat a little bit at that part. I don't remember. I don't like this song, so I don't really listen to anything other than Ben Shapiro's part. But they could have done a violin it's, part, like the saddest violin playing for you because you mad, you sad. Saddest but, violin in the world playing yeah, like, for you because we have no pity. It's it's a boringly constructed song. And it's also clear that, like, that Tom McDonald wrote Ben Shapiro's rap in it. Yeah, he's not going to say, this is a yarmulke, homie, no cap. Ben Shapiro doesn't talk like that. Yeah, like, that's not a Ben Shapiroism. It's a bad song. It's... But, so bad since since we had to curse our ears with it we're also going to not play the whole song just the ben shapiro section as the closeout for our saga three-part saga of ben shapiro and that is how we're going to be ending this episode is we're going to play you out with that yes (laughs) but before that we should say be kind to one another please for the love of goodness don't send hate to mr shapiro in his camp or tom mcdonald in his camp We're just here to have a discussion about what's problematic about all of this. We are not here to actually cause harm to anybody, unlike these people. We do have a Patreon episode that we'll be releasing exclusively to Patreon. You can find us at the Library of Cursed Books on Patreon. Um, You can also join us on our Discord through there if you want to talk about true allegiance with us and other right-leaning ghouls, artistry, or attempts at artistry. So with the Discord, we have so many different areas of conversation besides just the books we talk about. There's pop culture, there's 
places to talk about your favorite YouTubers. There's places to talk about a lot of varying things. And I will be personally very active in the Discord. I am at the present moment the main mod in the Discord. So and for just a dollar on our Patreon, it was a dollar, right? Yeah, it's a dollar on Patreon. For just a dollar on our Patreon, you can be a part of the Discord and be a part of the conversation with us. And for th- for $3, if you want access to our first bonus episode, that'll be on there for $3. And we're going to discuss Ben Shapiro's 11 Rules for Debating Leftists. Ooh-wee, was that a fun discussion. And then February, we're going to be doing relationship books. And the Patreon-exclusive one there is going to be us covering Steve Harvey's Think Like a Man, Act Like a Woman. Should I tell them what the first relationship book is since I've been teasing it? So the first book that we're doing for relationships in the next canon episode outside of Patreon is going to be Janice Dickinson's dating book, Check, Please, which I have just finished reading and I have been writing the episode notes for that currently. So be looking for that. I get to tell Chris about how you should date, mate, and extricate like a supermodel. So now we're going to let Ben Shapiro, if you so choose, to... Listen to this garbage. Listen to this garbage. We're going to let him do his rendition of rap. Tom, it's been a hell of a weekend. So, G, tell me about uh, how Facts is doing. He's number one on the iTunes charts in the United States. Let's look at the stats. I've got the facts. My money like Liz, my pockets are fat. Homie, I'm epic. Don't be a whap. Dog, it's a yarmulke. Homie, no cap. Look at the graphs. Look at my charts. You're blowing money on strippers and cars. You go into prison. I'm on television. Dogs, no one knows who you are. Keep hating on me on the internet. My comment section all woke Karen's. And I make racks off compound interest. Y'all live with your parents. Nikki, take some notes. I just did this for fun. All my people, download this. Let's get a billboard number one.